in any place of uh, practice, direct Dhamma practice, you'll find there's uh, some kind of shrine, altar, images. Mm. They always kept clean and bright and simple, they don't change. Mm. There's some sort of steady presence of a Buddha or spiritual being on it is not doing or saying anything just holding particular mudra blessing mudra it's a gesture of the hands or a teaching mudra or a, a samadhi mudra just, just there just to arrest your mind and say there's this stillness in all this yeah. and these uh, every place that has that we have that shrine, that altar, and around it there's the kind of comings and goings, there's the monkeys jumping on the roof, there's the stuff we have to do, and there's the you know, the mess ups and the mild chaos of it. <laughs> yeah. And the tragedies and sorrows and happy times. And this is what you should internalize this map. <laughs> you should internalize this map. Really. It's certainly not a map that only has a, uh, a shrine on it. The shrine is the center of it, and then the rest of it is this the map of your. your. your <laughs> conditions. That's the polite word for it causes and conditions, uh, energies, joys, sorrows, struggles, confusions, twinges and pains, uh, aspirations and hopes, worries and regrets, causes and conditions. It's called the causal field. I mean, it means all that you can, all you experience into is Conditioned, caused by something, either by your own actions or by the actions of others or the atmospheres and contexts in which you live, all that has been caused to come into being, just like this very body has been caused and conditioned, you know, by parents, food, you know, accidents, health, aging, so forth. It's caused and conditioned, it doesn't belong to anyone. It's this, it's the result of processes that have established it. None of it belongs to anyone. It's just this way. We can get very attached to it and we start to feel it is me. It's an expression of me, it does belong to me. And then we get into kind of various tangles around that. I'm trying to make it more than it is. Being nervous about it or anxious about it or fascinated by it. It's just caused and conditioned. It's very body. Yeah. You review it, you see the outward shape, form, there's also the inward qualities, the digestions, the lungs, the liver, the spleen, the organs, the blood and the sinews and the fluids and so forth, all slushing around. <laughs> this is me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
it's what it is. <laughs> cause, the, cause and condition. Yeah. We look into the mind, you know, thoughts and moods, language. It's condoles and condition. It's not your language. You didn't weren't born with this language. You learnt it. Yeah, the attitudes, the biases, the assumptions, caused and conditioned. Yeah. And then you get more intimate features of it, the things that particularly strike you, also caused and conditioned. Why they strike you is also caused and conditioned. We have built-in threat triggers that are caused and conditioned by being sentient. So all creatures, all sentient creatures, experience have trigger threat buttons because that's the way they survive didn't have a threat button you'd be dead you'd be dinner by now yeah <laughs> now these kinds of things so then you have uh, you know feeding programs that wish to consume things something triggers that and of course for human beings it's much more than just physical food there's also emotional food pleasure food that we, we we're aroused somewhere or another that's caused and conditioned by life itself. So, you know, these are the programs that are running just independent of individual uh, history. But there's also the individual history which moderates what we feel threatened by, what we feel attracted to, what we wish to retain and hold on to, make much of as mine. These are all complex wave interweaving of causes and conditions. So these, this is the what called the vipaka, the old karma, that which is we have now. You can any moment you can just review. This is what's striking me. This is what's interesting me. This is what's confusing me. Call it the mind, but it's just a the wave of causes and conditions that you're reviewing through that mental window. And when you're doing meditation, you can actually review it through your bodily window. You can feel in your own body the nervousness or the happiness or the trembling or the threat or the you know, searching, feeling. So just because it's in, you can also have in terms of thoughts and emotions, doesn't mean it's that's where it starts <laughs> it starts at a very primary level called the causal causal field it's an energetic field which vibrates according to life itself it's programmed to detect pleasure pain gain loss yeah, uh, threat death yeah, possibly of increase and decrease this is, this is sensitivities all animals have these same kind of triggers. It's life force. Because we get human beings add all kinds of social complexities on top of that as to what will, you know, make them free from the disdain or contempt of others or being looked down upon, which is a psychological threat, isn't it? We're dismissed and idiot, you know. So we don't want that. It's an emotional slap, isn't it? emotional death of being exiled or, or cut off from people right? psychological imprisonment we're not allowed to be ourselves 
This is, but this all this is the further complexities, and naturally, when these qualities are arising, they're arising here. So that must be me because it's happening here. It's me, so it's intimate. It must be what I am, and just change it. Well, no, you don't. It's certainly what's happening in your chitta, in your heart. No denying that. So, so you may be able to detect it happening in your body, no denying that. But in terms of a me, did you create a body? Look at it that way. Did you tell the body how to breathe, or how to walk, or how to digest food? Did you tell your mind how to think? Did you have to instruct your heart in feeling emotions? Could you say, don't feel threatened? And that would happen. Could you say, don't feel interested and attracted, with it, and that would make it happen? So, who, who, who's that? <laughs> who's in charge of this? You know? And who can make it go away? <laughs> Let me not feel this. Without, you know, some degree of adding accessories, which we can do. We can take the pain away by adding some external accessory. We can take the the doubt away by reading something. But in terms of just purely in itself, me can't do it. Uh, That may make me feel hopeless, but you could say, well, no, it's not that it's hopeless. It's just you're approaching, the approach is wrong. It's the wrong approach. These causes and conditions can be alleviated and even there can be a release from them. But the me isn't the agent to do it. Because the me program is a program to do with uh, holding on to things, gaining things, making sure things work, controlling things, ordering things around. And that generates causes and conditions. It doesn't release them. So the causative field is just, you say, it's any moment the waves that are rising now and then it's also causal in that it attracts us to do something. When we do something, we add more causes and conditions. So we fight with our desires and we add fighting to the desire. So we add more conditions, more actions. Yeah. 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 So, so causal field is that which attracts more causes, more conditions, more actions, more doing, more me, more involvement, more entanglement. So it, it gets more and more of the same process of causes and conditions keep rolling on. Yeah. So we experience our desires, we wish to follow them, we feel guilty about it, we feel guilty about that, we feel, why should I feel guilty, we justify it, uh, we try to validate it, then we think we shouldn't have it, then we fight with it, and all this is just more and more complexities. And so the causal field attracts to do more and more actions on top of it. Although you may add more and more layers on top of it to bury some of the effects actually the effects haven't disappeared and when you begin to release 
some of these superficial actions, gradually the underlying causes rise up again. It's like you, you strip away some of the layers, you come down to some fundamental uncertainties, needs, and so forth. And we place... <laughs> this is what has to be released from. It doesn't mean no action is valid. There's an action which is called the ending or the ceasing of karma. Karma is the, is the decisive engagement with causes and conditions. When we decisively engage, we decisively put will onto what arises. Okay, there are particular kinds of actions that we can put, we can direct ourselves towards that bring around the release from this causal continuum. And simply speaking, you know, the big picture of this is the eightfold path, or this eightfold path, which are definitely things that one can do. That will help to both uh, uh, prune, you could say, the uh, responses we have to our ongoing experience, so we don't drink, we don't steal, we don't lie, we don't violate. Uh, so we begin to cut off those reactions. And we start to particularly bring in you know, discernment, clarity, pausing, letting things pass, responding with clarity, responding with compassion. Yeah. And all these skills of mind that we, we definitely do in order to... to moderate what kind of responses we're having and certainly in this instance uh, there's a process whereby one is kind of assembling and consolidating the skills uh, of, of that practice, that process and this is the uh, cultivation called samadhi, collectedness, and consolidation. And it arises in particular ways. You know, sometimes this word is translated as, generally is translated as concentration, but there's a translation I have uh, doubts about, even though it it's not an unconcentrated state, but because the way that normally people will approach the idea of concentrating is to sort of tighten up a bit. It's a brow-furrowing experience. It's a sense of a narrowing of gaze or attention, a certain rigidity. Um, so uh, particularly as we are literate uh, people, literate beings now, we're used to concentrating on about half a percent of the picture, which is just these little black lines on paper. So we do that, or we concentrate on symbols, numbers, figure it out. This causes extreme narrowing of attention on particular points. And then you concentrate on something, that's generally how one would concentrate, most people. And the particular kind of attention that does that always has to scurry along 
to get to the end of the line before it will find a meaning. So it's a, it's a rapid firing, narrow point attention. Uh, and if you focus, so you're really going to concentrate, you try to hold onto that one point. And it will give a certain effect, it will have a certain solidifying effect. And you feel very focused as long as you hold on to that particular object. Now, the Buddha doesn't describe samadhi in that way. In fact, I haven't found an instance in the scriptures where he ever recommends we concentrate on anything. <laughs> Which may be surprising. You mean you'd be distracted? No, no, he doesn't say that either. He says, be mindful. If you're mindful, properly mindful, you'll find that if your mind is really concerned and interested and giving yourself fully to the process of mindfulness and what it's telling you and informing you and you pick up the beautiful qualities that begin to arise yeah, then your mind will be consolidated it will be samadhied if you're happy in the happiness it will settle down this is samadhi, settling down, because you've eliminated pointless procedures, um, you know, erroneous views, uh, ill will, uh, passion, restlessness, doubt. You've just held steady enough to, you know, get past these distracted or chaotic energetic patterns, which is what they are. Mm-hmm. That, that's the process of mindfulness you bear something in mind and you stay with it now that bearing in mind you could call that concentration except it's not concentration on a particular point it's, it's a collectedness around a particular th- theme such as uh, be aware of your body be aware of your breathing mm-hmm. be aware of the silence be aware of the body walking not a point but definitely a theme which is often subtly subtly moving like breathing in and out walking up and down chanting a mantra it's a repeated thing and a moving thing because in that movement of something that's repeated has a calming effect particularly if it's in your body it has a calming effect it's just neurology you know it's nothing you're not trying to calm down, but if you follow something that's got a calm, steady, repeated, involuntary, unforced character, the result is <laughs> your mind is not pushing, pulling, running off. It, it, we call this calm. But if you're saying, I've got to calm down, I've got to calm down, then you're actually putting in an aggressive, agitated energy. So you don't calm down. <laughs> because you're trying too hard if you say well I can't calm down anyway then that's not it either because then you're putting in what? a dismissive careless energy all these things are causative and result they give rise to results but if you're saying okay let me just bear with and be with this process as it changes and hold steady around it and listen into it and see how I can really stay in line with it then it's going to be a result 
if it's wholesome and skillful, such as a breath, nothing wrong with that, natural, your mind will begin to adopt that particular energy. It follows. And what we find, often through trial and error, but often with repeated repeated recommendations, is that if your manner of tuning in is respectful, has the, has the quality of as if you're approaching a, a shrine or a Buddha, that attitude, you'll find, you know, it's firm, it's clear, it's not wavering, it's not intimidated, it's not forceful, but it holds the space carefully when we listen in. And if you hold that quality, yeah, then, then uh, that that informs how you hold something. Then you're going to get what you hold is is this natural processes. You're going to find your mind begins to be calm and happy. It works. <laughs> it works. And uh, there are various kinds of happiness that occur with this. Uh, uh, happiness which is a sort of zestful, bright state, you feel uplifted. And it's the happiness associated with someone like an artist when they're painting something as a certain creative fervor. They're really into it. Or a musician, when they're really into playing their music, they're just absorbed in it. They're really... You know, uplifted by it, and they really got its creative zest. This is called piti, rapture. It's perhaps these models are not exactly accurate because it's much quieter than that. But there's a sense of the, the refinement, the refinement of attention, because now you're with something that happens by itself. You don't have to make it do anything. So it's breathing in and out, or walking up and down, or the silence. In his body, energy is moving and changing, and that, and uh, your attitude is appropriate. You bear with it. You don't expect it to suddenly jump up and do things for you any, any more than you would go to a Buddha and say, "Bang, bang! Come on, Buddha, what's the answer?" <laughs> <laughs> no, you say, "Excuse me, venerable sir, let's have your attention and listen." You might say. <laughs> so it's how you approach it, you know, and that, that ability to linger. And then you take in this felt impression that's arisen through tending to a skillful, steady, suitable, appropriate theme with a skillful, appropriate mode of attention. The result is. The energies begin fluid, flowing, vibrant, and you feel this uplifted. Oh wow, things feel fresh. The second kind of happiness that occurs, often associated, is that you feel comfortable, you feel at ease. You no longer have to make something happen. Uh, Like something lifts you, and you feel you can trust that, you feel comfortable in that. So a lot of your drives, a lot of your do-it drives begin to switch off. 
your mind becomes really pretty still. Not because you've told it to be still, but because there's nothing to do right now. And it knows it. I would like to soak this up. This soaking up is called jhana. It's it's a term that's used. And as with any other things, argued over. (laughs) Good old humans. We just, we never... Never miss a chance to argue. <laughs> or whatever it is, <laughs> I mean, the thing is not to speculate or argue about it, but just get, get happy, be skillful, get happy, give attention, and experience something that you feel good and your mind is steady in. Uh, why not? <laughs> why not, indeed? You see why not? Because something I should be doing now reminds me. I said I remember to do that. Oh, I better think about that. Oh, yeah, tomorrow we can do in this. Oh, I better prepare for that right now. And what's she looking at me like that for? Have I done something wrong? Have I offended her? I don't know about that. That's what. That's why not. It's going to. And so a lot of, lot of sort of, you know, a lot of heartful compassion into just realizing how these threat, desire, trying to get it right, wiring how profound it is in us to try to get it right and to try to get it right for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's got to be a point somewhere where you realize it'll be what it is and if you get your self together now you'll be in the best condition to deal with it when it happens <laughs> get yourself together now get build your resources now then whatever happens whatever if you've done something wrong you'll be able to deal with it you'll be able to apologize if somebody's criticizing you'll be able to meet it without fear you know and so forth. So really get yourself together now. And um, this quality of samadhi is said to fortify the mind because we've begun to uh, defuse some of these triggerings in the causal field. They're not just sparking off haphazard, you know. Just <laughs> They don't just happen involuntarily. They just pop up in your mind. Clearly, if an elephant charges you, you feel the threat signal. But you're not thinking, you're wondering about, will an elephant charge me tomorrow? I don't know. There's lots of elephants, you know. I've heard there's elephants in South Africa. A rogue elephant might be at the door. You never know. What do you do about that? Because <laughs> <laughs> the mind be, of course. So, you, you know, you're not, your mind isn't generating these things. So the causal field is actually just in latency. You know, it's, it's relaxed. It's in latency. So we still have those triggers, but they're not firing willy-nilly. Oh, now what's that like? When you begin to use that, or anything like it, anything that takes you to some place of a remove of stillness of 
not being so involuntarily triggered, this is what you this is what builds your shrine. You know, the reminders, the gestures, the felt meanings, the tones that you've detected. Right? Just relax you need to relax a little bit. You're so uptight, okay. That one's on the shrine. Yeah. You need to just give yourself a little more time. That's on the shrine. Yeah. You need to recognise that nothing's ever gonna work out perfectly. Put that one on the shrine. Yeah. You need to have a little more kindness and compassion towards yourself. Okay, stick that one on the shrine. You, this is how you build your shrine. And then every day you, you go into it, you recognise, you know, remember that? Down to that. Internalise that. Okay. And place that in the centre of your causative field, and see, causal field, and see what comes washing in as, as this is the issues of today. You know. Hold that shrine clearly. And ideally, everything that comes in, there's something to learn in this one. Something to be generated in this one. Maybe patience has to be learned. Put that one in the shrine. Yeah. Maybe resolution needs to be put there. Make a determination, not just once, but really resolve that. You tend to be a bit flaky, you know. Put that one there. Get cat, you know. Get convinced by your thoughts. Don't get convinced by your thoughts. You build that up on the shrine because the thoughts are what. They're programmed, you know, by social conditions, by life force. Life force is a human being, sensory realm, and socialised conditions. Family, parents, relatives, social group. These all cause and condition our thoughts. And, and of course our work also conditions our thoughts, what we're looking at and reading. And you look at so all this. So when this stuff starts welling up, well, you know, what's all that? And it's, it's, as I say, it's the causal field. You engage with it, then you're going to get stuck in it. So the, the skillful way to engage with it is, this is what has to be resisted. This is what has to be held with care. This is what has to be investigated. And what's this all about? What's really, the, what's really the bit in this that's keeping this thought going? What is this that's generating this particular obsessive thought? I've thought, I've thought this thought every day for the last week, several times a day. What's going on here? And you dig in and you look into that. Oh, this anxious. That's normal. You may be anxious about a silly thing, but that doesn't matter. It's the anxiety you touch into that. What does anxiety mean? It means something stable to refer to. So you look on your shrine. Stable presence. Feeling in your body. Grounded, firm presence. Something there. Just hold that. You hold it against the wavering or the agitation until your mind picks up the signal of the steadiness and it begins to be soothed and settled by that. Mm-hmm. Gradually, the, not 
despising anxiety or feeling pathetic because of it or getting annoyed because of it, it doesn't need that. What it needs is just something stable to touch. Hmm? That's why these shrines are so important. External shrine, internal shrine. And certainly in our monasteries, we feel this is a duty. We always keep the door open, the gates unlocked, the doors open. So that if people, you know, one o'clock in the morning, somebody's, they can go to a shrine, sit there and just refuge. You know, they're troubled. Eleven o'clock at night, somewhere in local village, trouble. And I just go to the monastery and sit there and just calm, open, cool, peaceful sanctuary. So this, and then that's the external. And then you want in, in, can you internalize that? Not so easy, but this is kind of what we do. What, why we have retreats and gather together and do practices so that you know, we, we go through things. And that consolidates and if you're happy with it then that becomes experience called samadhi and you feel steady you feel warm you feel comfortable you feel this, this, the energetic results of that it's a steady soothing easy even even still hardly moving you know, that's when it really settles down and we have that And these are invaluable. I, well, I was in pilgrimage in Tibet a few years back. I went to Lhasa, which is, uh, as you know, the capital of that, what's called now called an autonomous region. It used to be a country. And it's a holy place. Like, Tibet's got a lot of, you know, it's the, their, main, their main industry is prayer. <laughs> That's That's the main industry, you know. <laughs> one of the world great producers of prayers. Uh, so, yeah. and uh, when the there was a, the uh, takeover, or whatever you call it, <laughs> liberation by the Chinese communist uh, forces, and actually this whole country's taken over, and people are locked up, people are shot, people are killed, monasteries are destroyed. Scriptures are burnt, nuns are raped, monks are skewered, and so forth. And this kind of happens, destroying, destroying it. And I went to Laza. Laza is by and large now a kind of modern city in in the in Chinese fashion, with some sort of like Tibetan tint to it. <laughs> it's like a kind of it's the Tibetan flavour of Chinese, you know, it's boulevards, uh, shopping malls, uh, high rise, you know, kind of that sort of stuff. And in the centre of it, there's the old, what they call the old city, which is a kind of rather cleaned up version of what was the original heart of the city. And clearly, 
it's all kind of nice, much more clean and tidy and cars and electricity and one assumes that back in the 40s or so it was probably pretty grubby and uh, not hygienic and, you know, twisty streets and so forth but it was theirs, now it's not but in in the old days they, you know, they used to they regarded it as a holy place so every day the devotees would circle they would circle, circumambulate the boundaries of the old city. They would circumambulate it. They were, there's a way of circumambulating. They've got a prayer wheel. Walking around, chanting, on money, on money, on money, on money, on money. And I think the other way is they, they prostrate. They actually take a couple of steps and then full length prostration. A couple more steps, full length prostration. And that's the way you circumambulate you know, a, a holy place, and they regarded the city as the really the gathering together of their culture, their religion, their belief, their spirituality, their spiritual powers all in this place. So they would circumambulate it, and it would kind of external reference, internalize, you know, this is what we are, this is what we believe in, this is what's important, this is what holds us together, whatever it happens. And the Chinese kind of obliterated most of that so you've got these highways when I was there clearly with highways traffic lights and so forth and then you're walking on and right across this these people are still circumambulating <laughs> where it used to be <laughs> doing full length prostrations across a boulevard or <laughs> throwing their prayer wheels through the shopping mall and money they're still circumambulating, circumambulating the perimeter of the old city, even though the old city isn't there anymore. Externally, they're still doing it because they well, you know, landscapes change, but the sacred energy is still there. You know, maybe materialists will say, ah, "Crazy old peasants," you know, ignorant old peasants. We try to liberate from this superstitious rubbish, but you know. Okay, but you look into the hearts of these people, they're not crushed, they're not despairing, they're not angry, they're steady, it's holding them together. No resentment, no rage, no fear, just holding it together. The external shrine, they internalize it. When we do this, it reminds us of our values, deep commitments to nonviolence, things we hold sacred. And we don't just think it, we act it. And this and we act it together, and this holds us together. You know, think, well, okay. That's one, yeah. And then you look at what happens when people don't. And unfortunately, you know, this has been the case in China where they have uh, this is the at least the fourth mass Buddhist extinction. <laughs> uh, there have been three previous ones when the, in China they, you know, the emperor would suddenly decide he didn't want Buddhism anymore, so he'd wipe out the monasteries and kill people. And this is the fourth one, which of course occurred in China as well, the Cultural Revolution. They did the whole same thing they did in Tibet, they did in China. They destroyed monasteries and killed monks and nuns and so forth. And you see, well, look at the results of that. You know? You know, basically, the mainstream committed to to materialism, high pressure, uh, industrialization, high pressure life, um, 
and, and a lot of fear. Fear, materialism, oppression. China's called a successful country. <laughs> yeah, fear, oppression, highly driven, materialism, loss of value, loss of values, only value is money. Success. Mm. Or he could be an ignorant peasant, <laughs> believing in superstition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Topsy turvy, isn't it? No, no, I'm not saying that uh, Tibet itself was an ideal country. You know, it was could have used some benefit, a bit more hygiene, a bit more this, that, and the other. Definitely, mm-hmm. but uh, you look at these things, and you so see what what's the priority for yourself. What's going to make you feel stronger, more resilient, uh, able to withstand, uh, you know, loss and disease and discomfort, mm-hmm. with a sense of some dignity and clarity? What's going to fill you up? Mm-hmm. And so we look into those and we pick up the felt meanings, the ideas, the themes, and also the energetic meanings, how they affect our bodies and minds. This is not just a belief, it's happening, I can feel it. You know, this is definitely causing my body to, to feel more comfortable, relaxed, and my mind to settle down. It's good enough. And this is the samadhi, this is the principle of it. But to remember this consolidation of energy is, the Buddha said, this is born from the happiness that comes from disengaging, first of all, from really negative effects in the causal field. Negative, either negative impressions that we've inherited, our sorrows and so forth, and then also engaging in them in a negative way. Fighting, denying, blaming ourselves, berating others. This is negative engagement. So as you disengage from that, Disengage from the way you are engaging, first of all. So then you go to the wound itself, and instead of just reacting to that wound, you start to respond to it with some... This looks like it needs quite a lot of careful, quiet attention. uh, Disengage and allow the uh, tonal qualities and the felt impressions and the skills that we may have acquired to wash over these tangles and cuts in our hearts and it begins to heal it. And also the wisdom begin to recognise as you as you process that well, that particular you know, thing I hadn't really noticed that one is not what I you know, it seemed okay that compulsiveness I followed that many times it just takes me into agitation and restlessness. Get it? That's where it comes from. Deal with that. So we're not just uh, dealing first, you know, with with immoral or, or deeply flawed things, but even these minor compulsive behaviours that we get. 
question, what's the cause of that? When your mind is still enough, you can begin to pick up that jump. Yeah? Now, the possibility of samadhi then is your mind is still enough and easy enough to begin to feel that ripple of dis-ease. Yeah? Shouldn't be, shouldn't be, got to, yeah? what's that? What's that? Listening. Yeah. And so we begin to reveal even subtler effects that keep us stirred up and agitated with a sense that these may seem inconsequential at first, just a little, doesn't really matter, but then you follow them and they take you into these cul-de-sacs that you've probably been into quite a few times where you're suddenly spinning around in circles how did I get here? <laughs> how did I get into this tangle? and I'm arguing with him I didn't, why did I, how did I get to argue with him? because I wanted this and I thought this was right and it seemed okay to me and, and then I made an argument and now we're going to be now we've got to heal the, the pain we've caused each other <laughs> Actually, I don't have a problem with him, really. <laughs> it's just we got into some kind of point of view, that, and then it became bigger. Yeah. Because it suddenly, as it got bigger, it touched into my threat button. And I felt, I felt bullied, or oppressed, or something like that. Just over, what colour are we going to paint the wall? <laughs> <laughs> things that we'd get suddenly flare up you know somebody says well that looks like you've made I think you've made a spelling mistake it looks like it's a spelling mistake you made a spelling mistake thing comes to your mind you idiot you've made a spelling mistake you can't you know you're 35 years old you ought to have a spell straight by now you idiot Mm -hmm. so then you think he's attacking me (laughs) (laughs) You're calling me an idiot. No, I'm not. <laughs> but I heard this voice calling me an idiot, and I thought, <laughs> I thought it was you. It's actually me. Because <laughs> 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 you've got these built-in reverberators that touch these things off. So I know you're not actually saying it, but you feel you think I'm an idiot, don't you? You're just too chicken to say it to my face. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the other person thinks, oh God, I'm feeling threatened, you know. And, and they come up with their defence strategies. They just like, back off, you know. Get the prayer wheel out for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so on. Extraordinary, extraordinarily mysterious and, and, and confusing. I know a friend of mine is very ebullient and uh, impulsive. Ebullient. Oh, let's do this. Oh, we're going to do this. It's a great thing. And as soon as I feel that, I feel a sense of no. Nope. Because <laughs> I can feel something is kind of pulling me, pulling me off my feet. 
and uh, then really, I, no, that's it. He said, well, well, I thought it would be like, like to do this. And he's really trying to do something good. Right, so let's go for a swim or something. No. And you don't like swimming? No, it's not I don't like swimming. I just don't like being shoved in <laughs> and rushed in. I'm not shoving you, I'm just trying to encourage you, offer you something. Just oh my people, my people. <laughs> <laughs> It's just I like a more moderate tone that gives me room to move in at my own rate, that's all. <laughs> I like something I feel I can move in rather than be thrown in, that's all. It's not where it's not where we're going, it's how we're going. Yeah. I'm quite happy to follow, but I don't like to be given orders. <laughs> if you reason with me and this and I'm happy to follow, I like it. But I do not like you've got to do this, you've got to do that. It's just jarring. Feel, I feel imprisoned. Yeah. So we work with these things, and clearly you understand this is just my conditioning. I can retranslate. But at any rate, you begin to see or review some of these hidden triggers that are not so apparent. And, uh, and this whole web uh, causes conditions that, are, that are, seem to be inherited, they seem to be me. Because they've got a particular flavour to them, and I engage with them in a there is engagement with them in a particular way. So that's me doing it. So that's me. Now, when any of those is switched off or dismantled, even temporarily, you know who's this when it's gone quiet? Who's this when that compulsion ceases? Who's this when this got to do it relaxes? Who's this? No answer. Because <laughs> the mind doesn't need to answer. Doesn't need a word. Here you are. Here it is. And this is kind of the, the kernel of what's meant in this Buddhist code phrase, not self. A causal field is not the self, it's causes and conditions. The particular peculiar configuration of the, these causes and conditions that seem to be specifically you, no, that's called karma. That means the way that these are particularly woven together, that's called karma. It's not you, it's karma. It's a particular you know, pattern that's been woven out of these tendencies. That's called karma. That's not you. And that reaction to it, that's also called karma. That's not you either. That's trick. That's caused and conditioned. Yeah. And if you begin to handle these and discharge and dismantle, what's left? Nothing. No one say that. Something. No one say that. What would you say? I wouldn't say anything. <laughs> But feels good. This is the role of, of discernment, of wisdom. Wisdom in Buddhism, or clarity, is a, a kind of an active process, or it begins as an active process of this, call it inquiry. And some of this inquiry is 
say intellectual, like what's this about? But that's not all it is. It's also inquiry is just the feeling, getting a feel. You know, the way that uh, uh, you know, uh, a skilled carpenter would get a feel for the grain of the wood, or a cook would get a feel, a taste of it's about right. It's a feeling kind of thing. So this also is wisdom, and it's engaging with an act and feels a bit dull, feels a bit, there's the stress right there, or a skilled healer would read the pulse of someone, place their hands on the pulse and, hmm, I think there's some problem in the lung, getting a feel for it. So that's the sort of active, uh, and the aim of that is that through that and through whatever response comes from that place of healing or sensing, the disturbance is released and the sensing, listening is still there. Then wisdom is not active, it's there, but it's not actually, it's just listening, attentive. This is called realization. So you have wisdom that acts and engages, like deep attention is a wisdom form, Uh, action that investigates, which is uh, called Dhamma Vijaya, investigating or handling the qualities. And you have wisdom that realizes, which is called Anya. And the aim is to do your wisdom until it opens into realization, which is the stillness of the Buddha. The action of the Buddha leads to the stillness of the Buddha. So we have some time occasion make use of to reveal uh, with some confidence uh, patterns and processes in our causal fields that uh, we can come to terms with manage and release so let's do some direct practice